This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. I am delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you wish to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Just real quick, I want to review for you the end of last week why I wasn't here. Uh, My flagship station, where I was a local host for a number of years until two years ago, um, my, that station does an annual carathon, uh, which is a whirlwind fundraiser over 30 some hours raising money for children's healthcare of Atlanta. They have the number one research facility for blood disorders in the country for kids. And one of the top 10, uh, cancer research facilities in the nation for kids. And then they do a lot of other amenities for kids that normal hospital funds don't pay for. And so there's got to be a fundraiser to cover, for example, uh, the emotional support folks and the life specialists who help the kids get through cancer. They have game rooms, things like that. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful facility uh, in Atlanta. It's gotten very, very big. Arthur Blank, who owns the Falcons, one of the founders of Home Depot, has just uh, written a check to build a giant new facility that opens soon. But I spent... Two days, uh, eight hours on radio, doing the Carathon fundraiser. They raised close to two million dollars, just over one point nine million dollars. Money still coming in. Uh, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. It's emotionally exhausting. It really is. Um, I mean, you're you're interviewing people who've lost their kids. I interviewed uh, one parent who they found out their their child is terminal. It was. It's just. It's gut wrenching, but it's also a great time with wonderful people, uh, and I. I got to thank all the people who stepped up and, and donated as well. Yeah, but that's why I was there. I wasn't goofing off. Was doing that, and now I'm back, and I want to spend some time talking about a story that I don't know is getting enough attention, and it should be. If you go to major cities around the country now, uh, there are massive problems with homelessness. And the solution that the left has come up with is to just let it be. You go to parts of Atlanta, where I am, and there are tent cities. There is So there's an uh, interchange in Atlanta where there's something called the Connector, it's the, the merged interstates of I-75 and I-85 running north-south through the middle of downtown Atlanta, and they split with I-20. Just south of the Georgia State Capitol, the Gold Dome, 
there's there's a split between the connector I-7585 and I-20. 7585 going north-south through that section of Atlanta and I-20 going east-west. And when you split out to I-20, you're headed north toward into the downtown area just south of the city. And you split off to go west on I-20. There's this big green space, and it's covered in tents for homeless people. When you head up Georgia 400, which is a um, it used to be a toll road, and now it's a you get up straight north of the city there. You see tents everywhere for homeless people. Downtown Atlanta has lots of homeless people. In 1996, when Atlanta had the Olympics, the mayor of Atlanta at the time rounded up all the homeless people, put them on buses, and sent them south to Macon, Georgia, where I live, where I was on city council for a time. Homeless people there. You go to Las Vegas now. Las Vegas has massive amounts of homeless people, and they live in an underground city, a lot of them. They, they do drugs, they prostitute themselves, they engage in petty crimes, and they live in this underground area of the city. Portland, Oregon is one of the worst. And I want to read you, this is from the New York Times, Fighting for Anthony, the Struggle to Save Portland, Oregon. This is a key paragraph here to clue you into what's going on, not just in Portland, but elsewhere. And keep in mind that these people have decided that now homelessness, the people will be referred to as unhoused. That's right. People without, instead of homeless, they're people without homes. They are unhoused. They just changed the name. And they're grappling with the failures of progressive policies, and they can't acknowledge that they're failures. Just listen to this. Just as Portland has attracted college-educated transplants, it has also offered respite to people from around the country who are living on the margins. Caitlin and Arita Wren were unemployed and sleeping in their car in Memphis in the spring of 2021. Shunned by certain family members, the transgender couple saw few options in the South. Let's go to Portland, Caitlin remembers saying. Caitlin, 21, was inspired by the city's protests. An opioid user, she also heard that heroin was plentiful in Portland. Arita, 26, was told the city offered generous homeless services. The couple packed up their Nissan Altima and made the 2,200-mile drive. They found support from social workers and groups like Street Roots, which publishes a newspaper focused on homeless issues. On many nights, they stayed in shelters, but they said camping on the streets was easier. Government data in interviews with homeless residents underscore Portland's lure far and wide. A Houston woman whose home was destroyed by Hurricane Harvey, a New Jersey activist who came from the Occupy protests more than a decade ago, a St. Louis woman who had been sexually abused by a relative, the couple had hoped to find a sense of community in the encampments. Instead, they encountered infighting, which they attributed partly to fentanyl. The pull of the drug is so strong that many users are paranoid. Supplies are running out, Ketley said. People act like there's not enough of it on the streets for all of us, when in reality, there's more of it on the streets than there ever has been. On the night of April 18th, the couple were in their tent across from a church when a man slashed the side of the tent and attacked Arita with a knife. 
She was stabbed six times in the torso and hands, according to a police report, and was fainting shortly after officers arrived. They planned to head back to Tennessee next month. Portland is definitely not what I expected, Arita said. Now, I want to break this down for you. Caitlyn and Arita Wren are a transgender couple from the South. They moved to Portland, and the New York Times just kind of waves this off. An opioid user, Ketley, 21 years old, heard heroin was plentiful in Portland. In other words, they're going to Portland, Oregon, because illegal drugs are plentiful because the city decided to decriminalize drug possession. And they offer massive homeless services. So in other words, the city of Portland has ruined itself because progressives decided to, one, decriminalize drugs, and two, give lavish benefits, lavish, using air quotes here, benefits to homeless people. So they've encouraged drug use and homelessness and decided that would all be fine, except it's not fine. Because the drug users turn out to be junkies who get violent, who need fixes, and it's not like society is giving them the drugs, they've just decriminalized it. Maybe, maybe the progressives are going about it wrong. Now, they'll never admit it, but maybe making decriminalization of drugs a priority actually attracts drug addicts. And maybe paying out benefits to homeless people inspires homelessness. I mean, it's right there in this article. Ketley is an opioid user who heard heroin was plentiful. So Ketley and Arita, one of whom is transgender, or maybe both of them are, maybe they're dudes who think they're women, they, they, they've got mental health issues, they've got drug issues, they, they made a choice to be homeless because in Portland they pay benefits to the homeless. Now listen to this one. There are days when Portland is not what Jesse Burke, co-owner of the Society Hotel, expected. When a woman burst into her hotel lobby and wrestled with two employees. Or when she watched another tent dweller bang her head bloody against a storefront window. Ms. Burke, who with her husband opened the boutique hotel, boutique hotel in Old Town neighborhood in 2015, believes that Portland can recover, but it needs to adjust its attitudes towards homelessness. In recent years, she said, the city has been too permissive about camping and people using hard drugs. Some people respond to carrots and some respond with sticks, but we have used carrots here. She's encouraged by the encampment removals, which have reduced the number of tents in the area around her hotel. But she said government officials need to compel more homeless people into mental health and addiction services. A lot of people say, how can we get the old Portland back? I think we need to look at the lessons learned from this time and get to something else. What? You mean they're starting to realize that encouraging homelessness is not a good thing? Y'all, our cities are failing, and you know the most absurd thing about our cities failing is that the progressives can't admit or acknowledge the failure. That's what's going on here. They're failing. The drug use is up, crime is up, homelessness is up. 
and they see these as they're dismissing them as bad things. You know, this goes back to what I've been telling you guys is happening in this country in this era of postmodernism. What's happening is the left has embraced this idea that power comes from words, that all power is derived from words. And if you change the definitions of words, very Orwellian, you change the definition of words, you change the concepts and structures of power. So if you shut up the well-to-do and the white, and you only listen to the poor and the non-white, they have morality because they have no power, because morality is defined by power. So if morality comes from power, the people who have power are immoral, the people who have no power are moral, so you listen to the powerless because they are moral. You shut up the powerful, the white people, the privileged people, and you redefine words in order to redefine power structures. So homelessness is now unhoused. It just means these people are lack housing. It doesn't mean any of the things that are stigmatized with homelessness, mental health issues, drug issues, violence, crime, people hiding from the law, people hiding from bad choices, people who've made mistakes and failed at life. No, 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 no. It's just simply the lack of a house that makes someone homeless. The very rudimentary issue. And then because so many of these people use drugs, we have to decriminalize the drugs because the drug use problem, once you've decriminalized it, these people are no longer criminals. Therefore, you've given them an element of power and control by making them not criminals. And in the process of all of these things, you are collapsing the cities, you are collapsing neighborhoods, you're bringing in crime, you're bringing in drug use, and they wave it all away. It's no big deal. And you're a racist and a bigot if you want to get rid of it. And the reality is you want safe streets, you want safe towns, you want safe communities, you want safe neighborhoods, and the left won't give you that. And so what's the result? The result is that A lot of people not in the conservative coalition are moving to the conservative coalition. It is now a fact of life for the Democratic Party that black and Hispanic Democrats are the moderates in the party. It turns out that black people who live in the inner city do not want homelessness and drug use and crime in their neighborhoods. They want to be safe, too. And the good white progressives have decided, well, this is all part of the black community. They they must be okay with it. As opposed to, no, they've been fighting for years to clean up their neighborhoods and white progressives have decided, well, I mean, there's always homelessness and drug use in black neighborhoods. Let's just leave it. It, It's clearly a choice on their part. No, it's not a choice they wanted. It's a choice white progressives imposed on them. And the result is these people are becoming more conservative. Cities across America are failing and combined with the media, they're waving it all away again. I point you to this New York Times story on the collapse of Portland, Oregon, and the problems with drug use, crime, and homelessness, but along the way, they just wave away the fact that some of the people going there are going there for heroin because it's been decriminalized, and that these tent cities were meant for peaceful coexistence with residents, and nothing of the sort is happening. And now they're having to deal with it. But they can't come to terms to the fact, with the fact, that it is progressive policies themselves that have caused the collapse of cities and provoked more flight from the cities, collapsed the taxpayer base. And a lot of the people left behind, they're not voters, they're criminal homeless people. And the residents who can't afford to leave, they're the ones stuck 
and progressive policies are radicalizing those people to the right. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com, the Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. In the I've got a bad feeling about this department, Arizona State University's law school is going to allow generative AI on applications. The Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law announced on Thursday that applicants to its law degree programs are permitted to use artificial intelligence in the preparation of their application The students must certify the information they submit is accurate. The changes are allowed beginning in August. Our law school is driven by an innovative mindset by embracing emerging technologies and teaching students the ethical responsibilities associated with technologies. We will enhance legal education and break down barriers. I I got a suspicion here, not confirmed or reflected anywhere in the reporting. My suspicion, however, is that they're trying to help kids who suck at writing because y'all know we we've got a problem in the country with I mean, basic grammar concepts uh even at the high school and collegiate level we shifted over to common core and everybody's got to uh read as many books as possible but actual writing and things like that uh kids suck at it these days they're just not good writers and so we're going to allow artificial intelligence to write the essays and the applications for people going, in this case, to law school, probably eventually to college, you know, they don't get it all right. So you're going to have to read it and make sure that the AI gets it right. But you're just outsourcing your brain to a computer. This is not a smart thing for colleges and universities to get in the habit of doing. All it does is breed further laziness. Uh, I am I'm not terribly scared of artificial intelligence and what it's going to do. Uh, in a lot of careers, because I think that the people who are most scared by it are also the people who most champion it, are also the people who lose perspective of how these things work. This stuff can't think for itself, uh, and it's not going to, and it can only take in data and use data, and if the data is bad, well, then the results will be bad. But this is a bad idea. What's a good idea is for you doing business with Patriot Mobile. All you have to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today and move your cell phone service to them. They're a cell phone provider. They're a Christian conservative company that funds the conservative movement. You grow their profits. They grow the conservative movement. It's that easy. And all you have to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Move your cell service to them. Your existing phone number can come with you. You're allowed to move your existing phone number to their service. The government says so. 
you can get an unlocked phone from them or keep your existing phone if it's already unlocked. They've got state-of-the-art technology, uh, great phones. And then you get great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. You can also call them, 972-PATRIOT, 100% U.S.-based customer service. Call them, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. Or just go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Check out their coverage map. They get 5G data voice all around the country. Patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Pee Wee Herman is dead. Uh, Wow. Uh, Charlie and I are arguing with Philip, who had no idea who he was. Philip is a deprived, genuinely deprived soul, deprived of like all good entertainment options. Every time I take him to Las Vegas, I make him watch a movie that I, we didn't do it this time. I, and I should have try to make him watch a movie that real people should see that he's never, I mean, we've had to do gladiator and the usual suspects. I mean, all movies that people should see and he hasn't seen, and he had no idea who Paul Rubens was. But he died. Apparently, he's been battling cancer for six years, did not want it public, uh, and died overnight. So Pee Wee Herman, I guess he's hanging out with Large Marge now. Um, he is. He has passed away. Uh, I used to watch, what, Pee Wee's Playhouse when I was a kid, and then it turned out he did the thing in the movie theater, and it killed his career for a while, and then he had a, a comeback of sorts, a revival of interest in his career. It just, I don't know. It always struck me as a little odd, but I did watch the show when I was a kid. All right. This is terrible. I know you're both old, but Wikipedia says he did an HBO special in 1981. I was like six years old in 1981, you you little millennial. Good Lord. We, we may have an opening for a new employee. Gosh. All right. Someone who actually knows pop culture. In any event, we got to move on. Um... I've been warning people this is going to happen, and everybody disagreed with me. The There's the headline. Uh, this is the Washington Post. Democrats worry their most loyal voters won't turn out for Biden in 2024. Here's the opening paragraph. Democrats are worried about a potential drop next year and turnout among black voters, the party's most loyal constituency, who played a consequential role in delivering the White House to President Biden in 2020 and will be crucial in his bid for re-election. And they point out that black voter turnout uh, is, was down 10% in the midterms last year compared to 2018. And they're worried. I need to say a couple of things out of the gate here because I do think this is a legitimate issue and the Democrats are legitimately worried. But I also need to say this, in my experience in politics and the media over the last 20 years, when I read these sorts of stories, the very first thing that that pops into my head is somewhere there is a get-out-the-vote effort that wants money. And so they have to concoct a fear scenario. How many times over the years have y'all heard the stories of Oh, young voters, they're not turning out. If only you would give Rock the Vote more money. Oh, we need young women. They're not turning out. You know, young men, they're moving to the right. We need the young women. Give me money. I can do it. You know, we've got this on the right. Um, I am not impressed with the efforts of a lot of groups on the right, including Turning Point trying to do voter registration contact and early voting and ballot harvesting. 
the reason I, I use Turning Point is because it wants to do like $100 million over just like four or five states. And I, I, mean, I, I think four is, is like a large number. Uh, that That's a obscene amount of money. If it takes you that much money to do that, uh, you are wasting money. But the right's been doing this. You've got all of these organizations coming out saying, hey, we've got to do ballot harvesting. We've got to do ballot harvesting. Give my organization a bajillion dollars, and I assure you I can do ballot harvesting in three states. In other words, you're going to pay yourself a million dollars a year or some such. It's just It's so scammy to me. This happens all the time, and both parties do it. That's something you do have to understand. Both parties do it. When you hear these stories and the media eats these stories up, particularly on the left of, oh my gosh, black voters aren't going to turn out. Here, give this group that's on financial hard times, that is an expert in turning out the vote, they claim, money, and they'll turn out the black vote and pay no attention to the fact that this is all about they actually need the money as opposed to the results. Don't look at the metrics of results. Look at how much money you're giving them to keep them afloat. However... That being said, there is reason for concern about the black vote. Let me play you this audio. This is from Carl Rove, a man who knows what it takes to win elections. Six percent fewer 18 to nut to 29-year-old voters in Arizona failed to turn out. He loses Arizona. One percent fewer black voters in Georgia turn out to vote in 2024 than voted in 2020. He loses Georgia. So even on the margins, these groups that are not enthusiastic or maybe willing to go to Cornell West or maybe to contemplate staying home, that's the problem for the Democrats. They, it is a numbers game. So let, let me back up and give you a larger picture. I, there's all this data, the New York Times seen a poll Donald Trump, 53%. He's like 34 points ahead of Ron DeSantis, who's not doing well, uh, rebooting his campaign, launching his economic message today. Uh, I don't think the Trump team would spend all of their fire on Ron DeSantis if they thought they had it in the bag. They would start pivoting to, to Joe Biden. I don't think the primary is over. I think Donald Trump is most likely the nominee, but I don't think it's a done deal. Things can change. Events can change. But if Donald Trump is the nominee... Democrats are nuts that they have it in the bag. Like Karl Rove said, if 1% of black voters stay home in Georgia, Donald Trump would win the state of Georgia in 2024. Now, this is Jonathan Last. Uh, I, I know and like Jonathan uh, tremendously. He is at the Bulwark. He used to be at the Weekly Standard. We don't really see eye to eye on a lot of politics these days. Uh, but he makes an astute observation on MSNBC. Those polls out there, man, they're showing the GOP nomination is Trump's to lose. But, you know, the general election is a different ball game here. So what's your thoughts on the Republican base understanding that sticking with Trump actually means they're not going to win against Biden next year? You know, Michael, I don't know that that's what it means. I mean, this is this is the terrifying part, right? Will Hurd makes the argument that the reason Republicans have to move away from Trump is because if they nominate Trump, he'll lose. Uh, and that would be nice to think. I, I would like to think that um, you know, nominating a guy who's been indicted twice and will be indicted again it would lead to him losing. But right now, Trump is running five points ahead of where he was in 2020 against Biden. He's, you know, you look at the polling average, he's right about even with Biden. Uh, I am absolutely not convinced that even a Trump under criminal indictment is a surefire loser against Biden. 
uh, he's right to say that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. You Democrats may think that Donald Trump under the jail can't beat Joe Biden, but he can. He can. If black voters in Georgia turn out 1% less than they did in 2020, well, that's a pickup for Donald Trump in the Electoral College. If young voters disaffected by the Republicans and Democrats alike stay home in Arizona, that's a pickup by Donald Trump. Remember, in the United States of America, you don't have to win the popular vote to be president. You win the Electoral College. So the alarm bells are starting to go off among the Democrats generally. W. Mondale Robinson, founder of the Black Male Voter Project, shared a dire assessment of Democrats' potential turnout problems with black men. See here again. My suspicion is going to raise the profile, scream we have a problem, hope to get some money, keep the group alive. My speculation on that, but I know how these things work. In many of the battleground states, W. Mondale Robinson said many black men are sporadic or non-voters, meaning they're registered but have voted in one or none of the past three presidential elections. Robinson said Democrats spend too much time focused on converting conservative-leaning white women in the suburbs who they see as swing voters. Instead, he said, they should focus more on turning out black men, viewing them as swing voters who are debating whether to vote or stay home. The Democratic Party has been failing epically at reaching this demographic of black men, and that's sad to say. Black men are your second most stable base overwhelmingly, and yet you can't reach them in a way that makes your work easier. Friends, if you want a rate of return on investment that's good in politics, you target white women. Because white women, particularly college-educated white women, they show up and vote. Black men may or may not show up to vote. This is just basic politics. No reason to be offended by the truth. This guy doesn't want to point out the truth. But the reason Democrats focus on and the reason Republicans focus on college-educated white women is because they know they're going to show up to vote. Every single election, there are these stories about, oh, my gosh, the young people, we got to get the young people. Young people don't show up and vote in meaningful numbers. Do you know, like in 2020, there's a massive surge of young voters. It wasn't really a significant surge. Yes, it was higher than normal, which is why it made news, but it wasn't that significant of a surge. You got to go where the voters are and to the voters who actually vote, and black men don't vote. But... In Florida, black men did vote. They just voted Republican. Young men, young black men under 30 are increasingly likely to vote, and they are increasingly likely to vote Republican. And they are increasingly likely to vote Republican, statistically significantly so, because of jobs and the economy and, and cultural conservatism. That's right. Turns out, young black men don't want to vote for the party of drag queens, so they vote GOP. Young black men don't want to vote for the party of socialism, so they vote for the party of capitalism. Young black men, to the extent they're voting, are beginning to shift alliances, and a lot of it, frankly, has to do with so many upper-income, college-educated white women becoming Democrat. Because college-educated white women who don't go to church tend to be one of the most obnoxious species of animal on planet Earth. 
They call him the Karen, and no offense to Karen, but you know what I'm talking about with these upper-income, progressive, secular white women who've decided that they are the core of the Democratic Party. Nobody wants to be a Democrat surrounded by a upper-income, college-educated white woman with a bad haircut who doesn't go to church and thinks she's the boss of everyone and you should do what she says. Nobody wants to be in that party particularly young black men who do not want to be in the party with a bossy white woman with a bad haircut. They just simply don't want to do that. I mean, they got their freedom after the Civil War, and they do not want to be under the thumb of a bossy white woman who went to college and wants you to know she's got a college degree in women and gender studies, so you better listen to her. Nobody wants that. They're alienating young black men from the Democratic Party. And so you got a problem, Democrats. If you keep taking your marching orders from the college-educated, progressive white women of America, you're going to lose black and Hispanic men, and you're going to lose Hispanic women. Black women will tend to stay with the Democratic Party. Hispanic women want nothing to do with bossy white woman any more than young black man or young Hispanic man wants to live with bossy white woman. Nobody wants to live with bossy white women. I'm sorry, but even the men married to them don't want to don't want to deal with bossy white woman. And they've taken over the upper echelons of the Democratic Party. They give money, they've made the entire party a cult of abortion, and they're alienating non-white people within the party. The Democrats have a real problem there. Donald Trump could be thrown in prison tomorrow. And he still got a shot at beating Joe Biden because Joe Biden is backed by the progressive white woman army of America. And they're not well liked because they're so bossy. You may be offended by that, but in your offense, you need to understand. I'm also telling you the God's honest truth. Maybe it's one you don't want to hear, but all of the data shows this is so. All of the data shows that this is one of the reasons young black men voted for Ron DeSantis in 2020 in Florida. They did not like his opponent. They did not like it. They did not like the the his. They didn't like an orange man running against him, Charlie Chris. They did not like the the progressive women in Florida who were championing Chris. They didn't like any of these things, and it burned all sorts of bridges with them. These are not Republican voters. These young black men but they're showing a willingness to not vote Democrat, and they're showing a willingness to not vote Democrat because of who the loudest voices in the Democratic Party are, and they don't like them. And that matters when you're playing at the margins of the Electoral College. Now, one of the groups that's out there trying to build an interracial conservative movement that transcends parties in favor of the ideas of free markets and free people and fighting back against Joe Biden's bad economic message is Americans for Prosperity. They want you on their side. They got 4 million activists around the country. They start across race, across sex, across creed, but they're all committed to free markets and free people and limited government. AFP wants you on their side, and all you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. They're a do tank. They're not a think tank. They actually do the job of fighting for the conservative movement at the state level. They don't just write white papers in Washington and ho-hum each other and stroke their chins. They go out into the states, and they fight for free markets and free people. They're fighting against the terrible economic policies 
that are at play in Washington right now. They want you on their side. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The full number 877-973-7425. Let's go to Mary calling. Welcome to the show, Mary. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Um, so I think a lot of reason there's there's not just black men, but there's a lot of black women that are are starting to really look into everything that Trump is being accused of and some other things that are going on with the, quote, two-tiered system of justice, unquote. And I think they see in everything getting thrown at Trump and they're picking at him for every little thing, be it, you know, legitimate or illegitimate. They see this going on and then they see the media ignoring things going on with the Bidens, the the Justice Department and, you know, other three three um, letter acronym agencies trying to sweep things under the rug. And I think a lot of them relate or see things in that that either they have experienced personally or have friends or family who have been... So, Mary, you you say this, and and let's just drive home the point more specifically, and thank you very much for raising this issue, because I think you're absolutely right. White privilege. We got a bunch of progressives who who lecture all of us about white privilege. There is no more white privilege in America than Hunter Biden being able to get a sweetheart deal from prosecutors because his dad is president of the United States. When none of the black men who supported Joe Biden, who went to jail, got a sweetheart deal from Joe Biden's prosecutors, not a single one of them. But Hunter Biden does, and they want to lecture us on white privilege in this country. Uh, the the Biden team does when they take advantage of it. That I think that is absolutely alienating to a lot of people when they see the criminal justice system in the black community versus the Biden family. 